Today's show brought to you by the In The Money free newsletter and In The Money Plus. We want you to check these things out. Lots of great extra derby content you'll have access to and a chance to get all the stuff we're creating at InTheMoneyPodcast.com on a silver platter, basically. The free newsletter, you sign up InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash email. And if you want even more than that, we're going to have a bunch of added content around the derby, extra podcasts, extra written content, and all year long, you get extra stuff as well as little digests with picks from all the shows. That's InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Friday, April 22nd. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital. Happy to be here with you from the Brooklyn Bunker once again, and happy to be joined by a man who uh, helps me kick off so many of these shows this year. You know him from his own eponymous podcast, from his work on NBC. He is TV's Matt Bernier. Matt, what's going on, man? You know it's Derby and Oak season when like probable PPs are coming out weeks in advance with all the horses in there, and you can take a look and see how the figs stack up, who's going to be positioned where. You know, I think that's what part of what makes this time of year so fun, and that's what we'll talk about a little bit here. The Kentucky Derby pace has been a hotly contested topic already. Obviously, a lot more information to come. The post-position draw is going to matter. The final composition of the field, obviously, is going to matter. But I do think we can talk about it in general terms. It's amazing when you look at the list of, well, let's call it first-past-the-post horses in the Kentucky Derby since the advent of the point system. It's You just haven't been able to be much further back than a couple of lengths at those first calls and, and past the post first in the Kentucky Derby. Is that a trend we're expecting to continue this year? I mean, I, I think so. You know, and I know some folks have brought up, I had, I had a commenter on my show earlier this week suggest, well, maybe there just haven't been quality closers in some of these other renditions of the race. And my argument would be that that's entirely plausible. But regardless, if you have good quality dirt horses with early speed, they're just always going to have the upper hand on good quality closers because they're going to have too much work to do and they're going to need to get lucky from a trip standpoint. So I, I really expect nothing different this year. I'd be stunned if we had any kind of a pace meltdown and I expect the horses that are forwardly placed to be prominent again as they turn for home. Another thing I'll note about the pace historically in these last few years, it ain't all horses walking on the lead. You go back and you look at the splits that a horse like Justify set if you look at something like the racing flow numbers, he's not supposed to be able to, to hang on there. So there, you know, I do believe that not having the sprinters in there, like we had that you could argue undid a horse like point given. I feel like a fleet Alex is a horse that comes to mind. Maybe that was, uh, that was undone by Bodie Meister. Yeah. yeah the, there are plenty of them that got undone chasing these, the, these paces, but it's not, it's not like to impugn, the quality of any of the, the the winners since it's just the way that that races the races have unfolded. You will so often see though with jockeys. Here's one, an example of it from last year's Breeders' Cup. They, they and this is just very human. I'm not looking to knock riders here, but you will sometimes see an overreaction to a narrative or an overreaction to what just happened. And when you look at the results from the Breeders' Cup the big pace meltdown in the distaff followed by a race that on paper I thought had the potential to melt down in the classic then being going at a, you know, dog walking type of a pace. 
that's not uncommon to me where the writers become aware of something and then they overcorrect. And there's part of me, and it's probably the part of me that wants to be backing the Remsen exacta of Mo Donegal and Zandon. That's wanting that to happen. That's wanting writers to say, wait a second, every year it's the, 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 the horses that are, you know, in the top flight that are there at the end. I'm going to be in the top flight this year. And I don't know, I'm hoping that we get at least a fair shake in terms of the pace for horses like Mo Donegal and Zandon who are coming from far back. At the same time, I am demanding if it was just a race and I liked a horse as much as I like Mo Donegal, for example, I'd probably be happy to bet him at, I don't know, four to one, five to one type of a price. The question of the pace makes me want, you know, six to one, eight to one, at least. And I think we'll get all of that, but I mean, I am factoring it in, but I guess my, 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 my you know, you already said you don't necessarily see it as a meltdown, but do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Is it possible that the, the, the riders themselves will, will dictate that this becomes a race where the later paced runners can finally get involved? Yeah, I mean, to your point, look at the Distaff and the Classic. On paper going in, they were, if we're being honest, they were effectively the same scenario, where you had a horse that was more or less need-the-lead type, and if they got headed, they weren't going to go on. And you saw everybody and their brother go in the Distaff, and we saw what happened there, and we saw no one go in the Classic, and we saw what happened there. Maybe you get somewhere in the middle here. I, I guess for me, the difference is, in this year's Derby anyway, I don't know that you have any one of the early speeds that is dependent on it. And I mean, when I, when I say that, I mean of the quality speeds, the ones I expect to be around late, whether it's Epicenter, whether it's Messier, whether it's Taba, you know, I could go on. White Abario even has a little bit of early foot. None of them are absolute need the lead confirmed front runners. And I think that could change the dynamic a little bit simply because, okay, if someone else is really intent or hell bent on going, so be it. We'll sit. We're okay with that. We're not a horse that has to go. I mean, let's go back to last year's Derby. I think the thing that was, I, I'm going to assume John Velasquez knew Medina Spirit was the kind of horse that needed to go. And you know what? He's going to dig in and fight you for all he's got. They said, we're going to go on with it. I don't think you have to worry about that with any of the main early types in this year's race. And again, it's not to suggest that this thing won't come apart at the seams. You know, maybe maybe the early pace doesn't end up being off the charts, but maybe that interior portion of the race heats up when they really start racing as we go into the far turn, sort of that third quarter, I guess, of the race. If that's the case, then you could certainly see some of these horses from a little bit farther off of it coming and making a move. I will also throw something out there that I kind of dismissed, but I had a, a listener kind of pointed out in one of my shows. You know, I was talking about Zandon and Mo Donegal to me. They are the two best finishers in the race. My concern is trip. Again, you've got to work out some sort of a in-out kind of deal or whatever it may be, or you've got to give up ground, and you need to get some pace. Someone suggested that there's a chance that Zandon may not be as far back as he was in the bluegrass. And when you take a look at pace figures, and I just compared Epicenter's Louisiana Derby to Zandon in the bluegrass, they were actually very, very comparable. So it does make me wonder either... Maybe Epicenter's farther back than I thought he would be, or maybe Zandon's closer than I thought he would be. Um, it, it's a fi- it's a fascinating dynamic, and really, I guess it depends. When does the race begin? Do they go for broke from the minute the gates break, or do things start to heat up in that sort of middle portion of the run? Because we've seen premature moves. Boy, that's fine. You get in position that final eighth of a mile. That can be a, a long road to, to run. There's a lot to unpack as far as all this stuff goes. I mean, I definitely think that the jockey musical chairs business 
with Rosario, who did such a good job on Mo Donegal in the wood. Uh, you know, some I hope it's a mistake as someone who's bet Donegal, Mo Donegal, but but I can also say understandably sticking with Epicenter. What effect? What effect is that going to have? I mean, in a way, even though, and I don't mean to knock around Ortiz at all. I just I'm a big, big fan of Rosario, and I, you know, you had to love what he did with Mo Donegal in the wood. But in a way, maybe having a Rod Ortiz up is going to actually be beneficial. And maybe as the, similar to the point you were making with Zan, you'd have to go back and cherry pick through Mo Donegal pace figures to make him clo- much closer to, uh, to to the pace. But does, does he have to necessarily be so far back? I mean, a lot of his being far back early was not breaking. Um, it doesn't have much in the way of early speed, but from an outside gate, maybe, could he try to get position and, and be more like seven lengths back uh, early as opposed to 12? And, and and maybe that could be seen to a positive effect. And then there's the question of Rosario on, on Epicenter and, and what that's going to mean. You know, we think of Rosario as patient and a finisher, but he's also somebody who's had plenty of success when he does decide to go to the front end. And funny enough, my least favorite ride for Rosario is probably a, a stalking long dirt race i kind of want to see him farther back or <laughs> on the lead so let's talk about the jockey musical chairs what what kind of trip if you just had to guess what kind of trip are you expecting from um those two horses mo donegal and epicenter with their with their riders mo, to me mo donegal is even more so than zandon sort of a, he is a closer he's a i say closer he's an off the pace type he's not going to come from last but i think his greatest asset is his stamina and he's going to run all day. I I can't imagine him being that close. And I can try to do it on the fly and pull up, see what his pace figs have looked like throughout his career. But I know I had a lot of people go back to that Remsen and they say, look, both of them were really close. If you use the time form U.S. pace figs, I mean, they were crawling out there. Someone had to be slow. Yeah, they, they were in the 90 range. I mean, you would expect a half mile time form U.S. kind of pace fig to be, I don't know, 125, 130 for the Kentucky Derby. I mean, if that is the case, these guys are going to be much farther back than maybe we think that they could possibly be. I, I don't, but but again, for a horse like Mo Donegal, frankly, I, I don't care. I think he's the type that he's going to run at the end no matter what. It's just a matter of, is he going to get the trip that he needs? Zandon, I guess, fits the same bill. Epicenter, though, is the one that, with Rosario aboard, and the draw, I, I've gone on record, I, you know, outside of the one hole, I don't really care. I know they're going to come over. I know it's not the most comfortable position. But, I mean, look, if you if you draw perfectly and you miss the break, it doesn't make a difference where you, you drew. Um, I wonder if this does look on the murkier side, and maybe it doesn't look like we have any true confirmed gas. I wonder, knowing everything with this horse, with Rosario, with Steve Asmussen looking for his first derby, I wonder if the instructions are go to the front. Go come and catch me. We we he's won at a mile and three sixteenths. He's the only U.S. based horse that has done that. The other horses have won at a mile and a day, and that's all well and good. But he has won at the longest distance so far for a prep. As far as the U.S. based horses are concerned, he's won on the lead in multiple races. Um, I don't think you get cute. I think you just say screw it. We're going. We're going to break. <laughs> if he breaks sharp, say we're going to the front. And you got to run us down. I think it makes a lot of sense, but the problem with that is when you look at the pace figures he's run to date, he hasn't run fast enough to do that. So that might create what I know our, our buddy uh, Sean Borman calls like a, a, a difficult, difficult 
situationally, a difficult situation essentially for him because will that going faster early take the sting out of his finish that he's shown when he's able to control? I mean, he's controlled soft paces. He hasn't, I mean, I like the horse, but you know, at the prices, at the price he's going to be, I think I'm going to be moderately against because I feel like one way or the other, he's going to have to do something um, different than, than what he's done before. He's either going to have to come, if he runs his normal pace figure, he's going to come from further back or he's going to run a faster pace figure. And then is he going to be able to finish? I mean, look, every horse has questions, but in a race where I like a few other runners, I'm just, I'm just filled with with a tiny little bit of skepticism about him, even though I agree with you that especially with Rosario, who, you know, again, I tend to, I, I like to see him either, I tend to like to see him going along on the dirt, especially coming from farther back or just on the lead. And, you know, he does both of those rides really well. Will Epicenter be able to to be shown to his best effect doing that, though? To your point, the only time of his derby preps anyway that he earned a pace fig north of 120 early on was his loss in the LeCompte. Now, I think context needs to be sort of brought in there because in that LeCompte, he was the only horse that, was doing any running early that was around late everybody else is still running right now so <laughs> it was a good race you know and the louisiana derby is very much from a pace fig standpoint on par with his risen star on par with his gun runner the difference is he was a length and a half off the pace running like that in the louisiana derby as opposed to being out on the lead um I, you know i guess it is one of those things too the the derby year in and year out there's at least one horse that really touts themselves leading into the race and I know, you know, it's become kind of a joke and it's true. Oh, they, they, everybody says they couldn't be doing better. They couldn't be doing better. <laughs> there is always that one horse, though, that seems like they're touting themselves saying it's go time. It was Mandaloon last year. We've seen it in years past, whether it's, you know, I go but way back with Orb. You know, he was kind of the the talk of the talk. Animal Kingdom, the year that he won, you know, he was the bee's knees as far as the morning workouts were concerned. And typically all of those horses they at least give a good account of themselves, even if they don't win. Um, I'll be curious to see who that is that week leading into the Derby, because there, there's there's going to be at least one, one darling of the clockers that basically stamps themselves as a player, even if you didn't really think about them going into the race. I think you're right. And there's a lot of candidates to be that horse. A lot of good workhorses going to be uh, descending on the grounds at Churchill if they're not there already. Let's talk about some other horses who are likely to be a part of this pace, starting with the horse that I think will probably make the lead if he breaks. And we sometimes see these horses coming from other jurisdictions in America. And for whatever reason, they don't break. Um, But I'm talking about summer is tomorrow. I mean, this is a horse with legit sprint speed. Uh, they were a bit sounded like they were a bit on the fence about running, and they've decided to run him. I think if you're gonna take your horse with sprint form and try him in a race like the Kentucky Derby, you, you got one way to go. And if if this horse breaks, I expect him to get to be the leader at the first call. I do not expect him to be there at the end, but I but I think he could make things a little bit tricky on Rosario if they do decide just to dead send with a horse like Epicenter. Do, what do you think of my theory of him being the early pace setter? Well, and and keep in mind, if that ends up playing out, I don't think I, I think it's going to be one of those things where if Epicenter breaks and their their plan is to go, and you see this horse being quarter horsed out of there to make the front, you say, "Fine, we're we're going to let him go." I almost he's not if, in the race, you know. Correct. Just step outside yeah. and just do your thing. You you approach him as if he's really not even in the race, and you say he's going to stop at some point. Um, basically, do we want to be 
second just off of him, which effectively would be first in the race? Or do we really just want to be out there in front of everyone else? And at that point, you got to determine how fast you're going early. But um, no, I, I personally, and maybe I'm not giving the horse enough credit, but uh, I'm approaching it as if summer is tomorrow is not part of the race. When you look at pace figures, you and I have looked at different sets of pace figures, and we came up with the same conclusion that just looking at, at numbers, uh, the, these California horses, Messier and Taba, look like they're both capable of being um, on or near throughout. I've said that Messier, to me, in a way, has a little bit of a Medina spirit look of a horse who I think their best chance is just going to be to dead send. And, you know, I can't tell you why Taba isn't supposed to run him down again the way he ran him down last time, but it's 20 horse field. And if it ends up being too much too soon for Taba, if Taba gets in trouble, you know, maybe Messier just keeps on going on the front end. I think he's, you know, if he's a 15 to one shot, He's somebody I think I'd want to include as a potential best speed to either be on the engine or in a similar position sitting just off a runner like Summers tomorrow, especially if they decide to do some sort of, you know, mid mid pack tactics on uh, on Epicenter. Um, I think that that would obviously potentially redound to Messier's benefit. How do you see him being ridden? Do you think he's good enough to have a say in the outcome? Yeah, look, I, to be honest, I thought Messier's runner up in the San Anita Derby was the best race he's run so far. I wasn't fully all in. I wasn't totally a believer. I thought that Bob Lewis was purely a product of the racetrack where he yes. rode a conveyor belt and he won by 100 lengths. Um, <laughs> he he did regress, but it was not substantially. And I thought he ran really, really well at Santa Anita a couple of weeks ago. And I think he fits in here really well. And purely from a fig standpoint, from a pace figure standpoint, um, you understand why there's a real chance that I mean, I don't know that I would have thought this going into the race, but the two California horses could potentially be one, two. I mean, we just talked about Epicenter. He's only got one race where his early figs are up over 120. In that Santa Anita Derby, the first pace fig for Messier was 132. For Taba, it was 130. I, I think the, I, I think if that ends up happening, you could be looking at the exacta. Because from a talent standpoint, I've, I've said it, Taba, I think, is just a freak of nature. Um, you know, I, I've, I had some people questioning the idea of, oh, well, you only saying this because it was a former Bafford horse. And, you know, if it was any other trainer, would you be looking at Taba as a legitimate contender? I would say when you see horses do uncommon things, you have to take note. You, you, can't, you can't just completely ignore that. And for this horse to go as fast early as he did, then take a little bit of a breather. I'm just going to rattle off his pace figures. 130, 124, 120. Seems like he's going the opposite direction. Then he goes to 122, 126. So he actually did one of these. I, I think he gets stronger as the race goes on. And again, it's purely a matter of, is this too much too soon for a horse like this? I have no doubt that the talent is there. Uh, but I guess long-winded way of saying, again, California has a strong hand. No doubt about it. One other point on Messier. That was his first race too last time since February. Yeah, there, there, there is a, a real world in which um, you you see a move you see a move forward for him. And as for Taba, I mean, I think you you put it very well. I mean, the brilliance that he showed you can't find too many horses who've been as brilliant through two starts. I mean, I think figure wise, he's on a par with, if not exceeded. Um, justifies first two starts and, and justifies second race was an allowance race. So I mean, to do what he did in a grade one, again, granted the favorite, well, not the, yeah, he was the favorite. Forbidden Kingdom didn't show, but still to do what he did with Messier, 
He can't be ruled out. He will not be on the pace, but I think he will certainly be forward. A couple of other runners who I think should be in this early pace conversation. One is a horse who was the best speed in the wood. And as we talked about in our Monster Pod video, wasn't exactly laying down late, early voting. But you said from the pace figures you were seeing, he's not necessarily going to be able to, to be on the lead if he, if he wanted to be. And there's a lot of talk he's going to pass the race and go to the Preakness anyway. He, I just think he would need to go so much faster than he did in the Wood Memorial and kind of the way I laid it out uh, when we talked about the race. I just, I don't know, I failed to see a, a scenario or a reason why all of a sudden he would be able to beat Mo Donegal at Churchill given the way everything played out in the Wood. And to be fair, you take a look at the Wood pace figs, you know, early voting went 128, 127, 125. So by no means was he crawling out there. That should put him forward. You take a look at some other products out there. They have him considerably farther back early on. Um, I personally think early voting, it's a prime opportunity to sit out the Derby, let the chips fall where they may. Anybody that wheels back in two weeks, it's going to be a quick turnaround. You're going to have a fresh horse. You're going to have a horse that could very well be outright on the lead. And as far as the, the new shooters are concerned, I mean, I would take my chances with Chad Brown and, and Clarevich Stables going into a race like the Preakness. They've done it before with cloud computing. Um, that would be my call if I was involved with the horse. I would say, you know what? The Derby's nice. Let's wait. Let's go get the Preakness. I've got a sneaky idea of a horse who could be part of the early pace that I haven't heard many people talk about. He did not break in the Florida Derby, but he's won in wire fashion before and I think is likely to show more. If things go well in the Kentucky Derby, is likely to show more speed. He's got an uncoupled stable mate in Mo Donegal, who's a deep closer, what about charge it as a wise guy idea to be part of this derby pace? Well, so he's kind of a, a wild card in general for me, simply because I, I'm afraid that it's too much too soon for a horse that when I watch that Florida Derby, it looks like he needs experience. Uh, he looks like he's a little bit on the green side still. Having said that, you take a look at the pace figs from that Florida Derby. I mean, all the horses went fast early on. I don't know how that translates to Churchill Downs. I personally didn't like the finish from any of them at Gulfstream. I thought they were all kind of tired at the very end of it, and you understand why. But the reality is you're probably going to need to go that fast again the first Saturday in May and have some kind of a finish. Charge it to me still feels like, look, I'm, I'm going to sit him out in the Derby. Put it this way. I, I, It's not because I don't believe in him. It's because I think he's the kind of horse that needs a little bit of seasoning. Um, I personally would have preferred to see a path sort of Peter Pan to Belmont and then Travers over the summer. Who knows? Maybe he you know, makes me look like a fool and he wins the first Saturday in May. Uh, I don't doubt the talent. I just wonder a little bit from a from a seasoning and an experience standpoint. How's he going to handle 170,000 people going faster than he's ever gone before, a distance that's longer than he's ever gone? And on pace figures, his wire win would not put him on the lead here. He, we would have to be another one who'd be doing something new. I might be willing to take a little bit of a chance if the price gets up 15, 20 to 1. I'm a, a little more enthusiastic about his, his chance than you. We're going to talk about uh, this big race at Oaklawn in a minute. But before we get to that, any other horses that you, we haven't discussed yet who you think might be part of this derby pace could prove best of speed? stop and go, pop and stop, whatever you want to say. Anything else on the Derby pace before we pivot? I'll be very curious, and I've gone on record. I didn't love the Florida form for this year specifically. I'm not saying that the horses aren't good, but as far as the other jurisdictions are concerned, I thought Florida and Arkansas were a slight cut below. I will say, White Abario really has never done anything wrong, and he's not a slow horse early on. You know, I could see a scenario in which he pulls one of the better trips in the race, 
just a matter of, is he good enough to win? Um, he's shown the, the ability to be forwardly placed in the past. Again, I don't know that I love the form of those races from Gulfstream this year, but at the same time, if you're purely drawing it up from a trip standpoint, you know, I think there's every reason to think White Abario could be in a pretty good position uh, as they round the far turn. Yeah, that's not that's not wrong. I mean, I don't see him necessarily in the top flight, but a horse that shouldn't be too far back. And I mean, he did the Holy Bull and Kentucky Jockey Club certainly certainly productive races. He is a little bit he is a little bit interesting. Another horse that has the potential to be one of those horses people talk about, the Safi Joseph Runners, typically uh, they typically do work pretty well. We'll have more uh, from you on the Derby before it's all said and done, Matt. But let's pivot to talk about uh, the big race at Oaklawn on Saturday, uh, a little bit later in the show, if you're listening on audio or in a separate video, if you're watching on YouTube, we're going to have uh, the NHC champ, David Harrison, currently waiting in the green room. We'll be going over the Keeneland late pick five, but we do have a grade one race on Saturday. It's the Apple Blossom, and uh, this is a race that uh, features a horse we were alluding to before from the Breeders' Cup distaff, Latruska, facing a short but uh, but tough field. Who do you think is going to win? I mean, she looks loose on the front, doesn't she? I, I just don't know. My fear would be that nobody goes with her. She waltzes on the front, and that's that. Uh, I think the horse that's probably in the, you know, darned if you do, darned if you don't position is Cece. I think she's the one that kind of by default is going to take up the chase. Um, if I'm being honest, I didn't, I don't think the Azari was very good. Um, not just, you know, not only did she sort of idle, she pulled herself up when she made the front and give her credit for digging back in. I thought it was a terrible race from She Dares the Devil. And purely from an Asmussen standpoint, I think Pauline's Pearl is half the horse that Clarier is. So um, I'm going to give Clarier a chance. I, I don't know if the pace dynamic is going to work ideally for her. I thought her comeback race, I know she was on her left lead for the final 16th of a mile. I mean, Rosario, was ba it was basically a, a morning workout. He never once asked her to run. She had her ears up the whole way. I thought she was just kind of cruising along. And I think it's just a good sign that she could potentially move forward here. She finished six lengths faster than anybody else in that run at the fairgrounds. I know she didn't beat much in there, but I just, I think she could be a very, very talented filly this year. And again, maybe the pace dynamic doesn't work to her advantage in here because Latruska could very well be waltzing on the front. But uh, for me, those are the only two that I want. I want three and two. And I think your scenario could work if they really decide that CC is just going to take the race to Latruska. And this really no reason for them not to try that when you think about it. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, it's great to have another grade one second or whatever, and it's a, it's a nice check, but I don't think that uh, the, the team CC is showing up there to finish second. So if they decide they want to be super aggressive, it could set up for Clarier. I see it more as that, that Latruska and CC are going to probably run around there. And I love Clarier, but yeah, I mean, I, I see it probably coming to five, but I can see your three, two idea um, very much as well. Did you have any other thoughts on uh, the, any of the other stakes at Oklahoma or anywhere around the country on Saturday before I let you get out of here? No, I mean, you know, taking a look at the two mile and an eighth races, one at Keeneland, one at Oakland, you've got a giant discrepancy in purses. I mean, if you put the field together, you'd probably have a fantastic race. Uh, <laughs> not to say that you don't have a couple of good races between the two, but uh, the Ben Eli and the Oakland handicap. I don't know that you've got Breeders' Cup classic kind of horses in there, but you know, you've got some decent runners, Warrant, Dynamic One. Those two horses are running down at, at Keeneland. And as far as Oakland is concerned, I mean, I suppose Fearless is kind of the headliner in that race or Idle, one of those two. Again, I don't know that we're looking at uh, 
Breeders' Cup Classic contenders, but who knows? It's early on in the season, and with a big performance here, maybe it's a springboard to, to bigger and better down the road. It is an unusual thing. I mean, it's a it's a million dollars, the Oakland handicap, and it's hard to see who isn't showing up in that field if it's 300,000. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, but it's, and at the same time, it speaks to, and they are sponsors, so it may be a biased statement here, but it speaks to the power of Keeneland and what it means to connections to win at the Keeneland meet when they're willing to run horses that would look fantastic for a million for so much less at Keeneland. But, you know, you win in the backyard. And I think it's pretty clear if you're really in the horse racing business, winning stakes races at Keeneland means something more than money. That's part of what it tells me as well. Yeah, no question about it. And to your point, I mean, some of those horses at, at Oaklawn would, or excuse me, at Keeneland would fit in very well for, for three times the price at Oaklawn. And and instead, they're gonna they're gonna hang home in Lexington and, and get the job done there. We'll find out. Again, this is probably a springboard to, you know, you would think if you have good performances from either of these races, you would think races like the Suburban at Belmont out at a mile and a quarter. You would think the Whitney over the summer at Saratoga. But um, first things first, you got to get through these races this weekend. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Obviously, we'll have you back on very soon, and uh, we will be back right after this. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at Keeneland and KeenelandSelect.com. want to remind you, it's the grade one gamble this weekend. Still time to sign up. You can play live. You can play online. Go to the Keeneland website to try to find out more or get in touch directly with Jim Goodman. He'll be able to sort you out. Other notes from our friends at Keeneland. We are encouraging folks to check out the Keeneland Turf Pick 3. We've got special coverage of that wager every day over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Still time left in the stakes laden Keeneland meet and on the Keeneland select side, we're having an opportunity for folks to get free money for new signups on KeenelandSelect.com. Uh, there, there are some terms and restrictions you can check out when you sign up over at KeenelandSelect.com, but basically uh, a chance to get some free money, 300 bucks uh, in total. You have a chance to, to make it work out to just use the promo cup at promo code at sign up ITM 22 Check it out at KeenelandSelect.com. Next up on the show, very happy to welcome in a guest I've been chasing for a few months ever since he won the NHC out in Las Vegas, pocketing a hefty prize and uh, positioning himself to go on stage next year and grab an Eclipse Award for Horse Player of the Year. David Harrison, welcome to the In the Money Airways. Well, thank you, Pete. Thank you for having me. It's our great pleasure. I asked you uh, off air if you were, I was thinking maybe you were down in Keeneland. It figured that the grade one gamble was, was an event that you might have uh, marked on your calendar. You're, you're not there, but you had a good excuse. Yeah, absolutely. After I won the NHC, I'm like, well, I've never been to the grade one gamble. I, I've Keeneland's been on my bucket list. So I was penciling in and then I realized that it's on the 23rd of April well, my 40, our 40th anniversary is on the 24th of April. So it was one of two things, either it, you know, participate in a Grand One Gamble live at Keeneland, which I'd love to do, or be divorced on my 41st, uh, uh, the first day of my 41st wedding anniversary. So uh, that wouldn't have gone over too well. So it's I think we're going to be- you, you can play online, you know. 
Yeah, I know, but you know, it's just we have weekend events planned. So when I tell my wife, well, listen, I can't, uh, I've got to cut brunch here uh, short on our 40th wedding anniversary weekend. So I got to play a couple of races here because I'm in the hunt. <laughs> I, get it. I get it. No, I totally get it. But instead, we do have you to talk about this late pick five on Saturday. It kicks off with race number six. We've got three year old maiden fillies going seven furlongs on the dirt. David, how are we going to light this candle? Okay, I let's tackle this guy. Um, I looked at this race, and maiden special weights are, are not my specialty by any means. But um, the way I'm looking at this race, if I'm going to play a pick five, um, I'd be throwing the five faith reward on top. Um, I love the – this is a seven furlong maiden – special. So I love the cutback, the turn back on phase reward. So um, she had run uh, first race at Oaklawn at a mile then stretched out to a mile and a, and a, ha and a mile and a 16th, the mile and a 16th race. She showed speed. Okay. So, and then tired. So I think that gives her some bottom to cut back to seven. So I really love this cutback to seven furlongs. So I would normally just single this five horse, but when you have a Brad Cox horse on the rail that's been showing good works over at Keeneland, we, especially the, the work on the 26th of uh, March, 46 and one. Um, I'm not a big fan of first time starters drawing the rail. So usually I'll avoid them, especially when they're favored. But in this case, this horse, if, it, if she shows speed, she could be gone from the rail. So I'm going to use the one and five in this race and, uh, you know, key. I'm more of a, a vertical player. So I would use the five over a couple of horses. And the, the advantage of having a maiden race in your first set of, you know, first race of the pick five is that you can look at the board. So if any of these first time starters are taking any significant money, the, the, the horses on the outside, the six, seven or eight, um, it's a horse I may consider throwing in. Um, and the concern I have is that the one, even though I'd be tempted to, to avoid the rail horse, that the one might be gone. If she shows the speed she shows in her morning workouts, if the six doesn't press her, that she could be gone. So I'm going to use a five one here. I see it very similarly. I put the five on top face reward, similar idea. I thought the turn back would definitely suit. And I was also thinking with 70 days since the last race that, you know, maybe there was a little issue there that's since been resolved, obviously winning these races that feels like a, a spot at Keeneland that was picked out for this runner. And, and I think she could be a lot right. to handle. I'm with you on the, the, on the Casa de Goat the the one runner for uh, Brad Cox and Flavian Pratt, you know, everything you said when they've got speed, that rail draw, not necessarily as bad of a thing. And I would probably right. throw in the three cat wings for a penny as well. This runner stretching out second time off the layoff with competitive numbers. So five and one for you, five and one and three for me in Keeneland's sixth race. And we'll go right on to Keeneland's seventh race where we've got a four and up, Philly and Mayor Allowance going a mile and a 16th on the turf in this uh, in this instance. And this was a spot where I liked number three, Sweet Enough, the import formerly trained by John Gosden in England. I thought it was a little interesting in her first U.S. start because this is a field where there's not a lot of speed. 
And back when she was on form in England, she was a speed type. And I'm hoping Arad Ortiz rides her aggressively. She's got a couple of the markers I look for in European runners who are going to do well here. Did well around York. That's left-handed. Also did well on faster ground over there. I think racing in the USA is going to agree with Sweden up. And I think she's a good play. Seven to two, four to one around there. And I'll also use Saranya, the nine. This horse has been running in a steady diet of stakes company. And just looking at pace figures, maybe it doesn't need to be quite as far back as she's been. I like the switch to Pratt. I was going to try to get out three and nine in race seven. How do you see it? Well, we're on a totally different page here. Okay. Um, now, uh, granted, you are much more familiar with European turf form than I am. I will guarantee you that because you've been there many times. And, um, you know, I, until a horse coming from overseas demonstrates that it can run in the States effectively, um, I'm going to always pass. So at four to one, I mean, again, if this horse was 10 to one, if it's four to one morning and 10, 12 to one on the line, I probably would be tempted to use it. But uh, and again, talk about the purse. I mean, I was surprised. I'm like, they're giving away some great money at Keeneland, 130,000 non-winners of three. I'm like, wow, I, sh I should uh, invest some of my winnings and in, in purchase a racehorse. I mean, <laughs> like, but uh, with that being said, when I started handicapping this race, it's going through and I'm like, I, I noticed the lack of pace in here. Okay. Um, but with that being said, I am going um, with my, my top pick would be normally would be the one a keeper of time. Okay, in that race at the uh, Buena Vista on in at uh, Santa Anita, legs galore really went comfortably on the front end. There was really not much pace there. I know twenty three going a mile at, at Santa Anita is not that overly fast. So this horse was kind of against it, and I mean, she she won back at um, Gulfstream on the synthetic, Tapita, and I was impressed with that race. But again, um, I, I think this spot is a good spot for her. Um, but any other horse I would use is Gam's Mission. Uh, I do like that. Um, off a layoff, she did close to run a respectable second. And I think she's sitting on a big race for Sherry DeVoe. So those are the two horses I would use. But then I started thinking, Pete, you know, looking at the lack of pace in these pick fives, I want to have a chance to make a consider a, a nice profit. So I'm not going to use chalk and first or second choices um, or third choices. I'm going to give a shot. I'm going to include Whimsical Muse in there. 31 I, morning line. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an inflated 30 to 1 morning line. But again, this horse will be 15 to 1 at least all day long. Uh, you throw out that race that was on the, um, uh, that was off the turf, correct? Yep. And um, if you look at the speed, uh, I mean, this horse is racing at 25 claimers, 40, uh, but it's been showing speed and, and based on the distance to this race, this horse could get off to a clear lead. I mean, so I'm going to use the three of them here in my pick, the five, one, and four. And again, because I'm a more of a vertical player, I'll be all over the four trying to get the four in the, in the exact or triples here. All right, good stuff. And of course, uh, keeper of time coupled with the number one, I hear you. So Correct. You get yep. the, 
with that runner as well. Let's move now, on. Let me just point out if if the Please. if there's a scratch, if the one is scratched, I'm off. I mean, if the one is scratched, I'm off the one. It would just be the basically the five. Gotcha. And then okay. Back up well, with the four. I'll list. I'll list it. I'll list it that way in our notes for in the money plus. Let's talk about race number eight. We've got graded stakes action in the Ben Eli going uh, one and an eighth miles on the dirt. Who do you like in here? The question is, is it the Ben Eli or the Ben Ali? I thought it was okay. Ben Eli. It is Ben Eli. I was just listening to Marty McGee a little while ago, and he said he <laughs> got confirmation of Ben Eli. But if you look at it, is it Muhammad Ali or Muhammad Ali? So, <laughs> like, Ali. Right, exactly. So I'm going to go with uh, the Ben Ali. Okay. Um, in this race, I mean – I am forced to single warrant. Um, I know that um, there's some other horses in here that people give a chance, but based on that um, game effort against Express Train at Santa Anita in a grade one, I mean, again, I know it's it's a grade one, but it's, it was a small field, but this horse showed a lot of heart, was right on pressing the lead here. And just barely lost to Express Train. Express Train is going to be running next Saturday at, at Santa Anita. It'll be another prohibitive favorite. And, you know, it's interesting that they choose this spot. So it does concern me a little bit because there's some other, the, uh, the Oakland Handicap they could have opted for. They could have opted to stay in Santa Anita. Um, the stakes races next Saturday. Um, Express Train is running. So it, it, does that concern me a bit? Yeah, but, you know, at some point, you have to reach out and make a decision. Um, usually, I, I'll do a, have a, one single. So this is my single. Um, I don't think I don't really want the horses out of the, um, the, the the Grade Three Challenger. Even though Scalding, I was impressed. Scalding really stepped up in that race. And uh, moving forward, I think this horse has a future this year to win some stakes races. But at this in, in this spot, I, I think Warren will have a perfect trip. Is uh, pressing mighty hard, um, and if I was going to use another one, it would be the three proxy. Also, just a horse that makes plenty of sense on, on and, and facing Olympiad, who was impressed the heck out of me in that race. Yeah, he's been so it would be five, and then possibly three, depending on if there are any scratches in looks the earlier or later races. Season. Yeah, Olympiad certainly looks prime for a big season, and those are definitely the two on figures and form. But I was with your idea of just going ahead and singling Warren. I really thought stood out in this group on form and looked to me like one who was going to take another step forward in this spot. And, and you made the other key point too, which is you know just from off the pace with the finish that Warren has shown, you know not not just a, a hunch play for hair metal fans, as I. Uh, as I said, the last time you ran with the, well, I, got for, I, got for I had a reference. Yeah. I had a reference and you're better at this than me. And your father was too. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, Warren will be crossing the finish line and in the winner's circle, but he'll be holding his head up high. Does that make sense? Was it Warren? Yeah. Hold your head up. No, it wasn't uh, Warren. that was not Warren. You're going back. Yeah, so I'm glad I, did, I glad was, didn't bring up that reference. Huh? That was Arjun. That was Arjun. Yeah. Warrant. Okay. <laughs> We've got hard rock from two decades exactly. being referenced yep. on the shows, which we like. <laughs> Warrant, Warren's big hit was, was was cherry pie, wasn't it? So there's something you could work yeah. with that. But anyway, mm -hmm. we'll we'll leave that for another show. Correct. And we'll move on to more graded stakes action in the Elkhorn going a mile and a half on the turf. And 
I uh, kept going back and forth here. I'm going to pick against Channel Maker at the end of the day, just because even though he's been versatile in terms of running style at times, I really think he does his best work on the lead. And there is just so much speed in here. I think it's going to set up for an off-the-pace type. And I think Bema's boy is going to get the best trip of the off-the-pace types and has the late finish to get involved. Now, I'll admit, I was a little disappointed. At 5-1 to one on the morning line, I surely wouldn't want any shorter than that. And even 5-1 to one's a little skinny because I'm not sure if Bema's boy is really fast enough. But I think in the picks, and I think in reality, he could be north of 6-1 to one and make sense as an alternative. I will use Channel Maker 2 as the old class horse to uh, potentially get involved in this spot. But I'm going to go, I'm going to call it 1-5 in the Elkhorn. How do you see this one? Are we are we are we opposed again, or are we back? Reading yes, the story? we're on separate pages. So our, okay. if, if, uh, your listeners are going to be really having an expanded ticket if they're going with both of our. Uh, it's going to be an expensive ticket. Yeah, this race, this out of all the five races, Pete, this is the one I spent the most time with. Um, this was a head scratcher. Um, the one thing that I that I noticed, uh, I looking at the prior races of these horses. Phantom Currency, Currency, the four horse, really impressed me the last time out. I didn't like him particularly in that race when I bet him that day. It was Florida Derby Day. And I left him out. I was all over Wolfie's Dynaghost, and that killed me. But uh, well, that's a story for another time. Um, but that was a really – this horse just cruised on the front end. This is a great tune-up race. And I look after this race, I watched a couple of replays. And I'm like, you know, this horse is going to be moving up in stakes company this year. This horse – I just visually was real impressive. You look at that workout on March 27th, five and 57 breezing. This horse is sitting on a huge year if he can, if, if he can stay healthy, in my opinion. But the bottom line is you have a good point. You've got speed with two Emmys and you've got the speed with Channel Maker. Now, I'm off Channel Maker totally because I, off the layoff, I think this horse needs a couple races to get in his best form. So I'm going to, and again, I, I have a concern that speed hasn't really been holding up at Keeneland on the turf course, but hopefully it'll be dry for the next couple of days and it'll harden up a little bit. So I, I have to use this four horse and that the four horse I'll use on top. With that being said, I'm leaving the provision open that there's going to be a pace and the four horse and the, it's just not going to work out. It's closers were come flying through. And so I'm also going to use the nine, another mystery. And this is a history with me. This was a horse that ran in at the final table. And I thought it would have just knocked me off the, the top perch there. And I was shaking like a leaf after I saw him cross the finish line because I didn't have him. And I was, thank God for the dead heat. Yeah, so I don't know if they, you know, it might have, this horse might have had a, it might have helped me win by not, or, or the, the horse that beat him or dead heated with him. So, so I'm going to use the, the nine also, but I'm also going to use the eight and I'd probably use the eight ahead of the nine. Rusty Arnold does win races down at Keeneland. He's, oh, he's yeah. the two for 14. Corey Lannery is off to a good start. If there's a pace, this, I know, again, this horse may be a little cheap. But I first, second race off a layoff and um, did close a little bit uh, in that McKnight. There was hardly any pace in that race. You get a good pace. So I'm going to use 489 here. 
All right, we've just got a couple minutes left, but only one race left to do. It's the nightcap at Keeneland on Saturday, a three-year-old allowance going seven furlongs on the dirt and a field of 10 uh, signed on, actually 11 runners because we do have an entry. David will ask you the key question. How are we going to get paid? Okay, we're going to get paid. It's easy. There's only two horses I would use here, and I think the one horse may be a lock. Great escape. Look at this last race. Ran against Tis the Bomb and Tony Port. Where are they, Tis the Bomb and Tony Port going? Kentucky Derby. Where was that surface of that race? Where was this race being held? On the synthetic at Turfway? Didn't, probably didn't like it. Throw that race completely out. If you look back, we've got a turn back again. Off the first race off a layoff, mile on a 16th, showed some speed. Now cuts back to seven. Throw that last race out. Good workout. This horse looks fantastic to me. The other horse I would use is the two horse. Um, I don't usually like Maiden going right into an allowance, but this horse didn't impress me. Closed off five and a half and has one, has almost basically uh, lost by a head in a seventh furlong race at um, Ellis Park. And um, I think this horse, a blinkers on, second time in blinkers. I think this horse is sitting on a big race. It's all one, two for me, Pete. We're the same. And, uh, you know, wow. I, I, I'd throw in the proviso that I do think Great Escape's stablemate Momentus is very interesting in his own right. Uh, winning on debut, being bet a bit, taking a couple months off and, and, and coming back, but but fits as well. I, th I think between those three runners, which you get with the two numbers, we'll have a pretty good chance to lock this thing out. And the good news is, you know, we, we, we narrow down in, in the same places. So maybe we can spread in those two races where we have uh, – difference of opinion and, and and we'll hit this thing together on saturday my friend well we hope to yes next time on we'll talk to you more about your journey so far as the nhc champ but uh for now i got a zip so we're not going to do that but i will say thank you one more time we'll wish you godspeed this weekend have a great anniversary it was a real thank pleasure you, speaking to you, my friend okay good same stuff. here thanks thanks for having me on it's appreciated Enjoy your weekend, and, and good it. luck. May the horse be with you. I don't have anything. Hold it. May the horse be with you. Throw that one in. There you go. And you even throw the program, which we appreciate, yes. David. All right. Okay. That's going to do Hi, it Pete. for this edition of the show. We're going to thank David Harrison. We're going to thank producer AJ. We'll thank Matt Bernier. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. You can give to them. See the special gifts we have on offer as well over at trfinc.org slash players. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. I know.